Hi, I'm Corey Nathan, and this is Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other. Your home for engaging conversations about the topics that matter most in our culture. If you love nuance, if you want to better understand different points of view, if you're tired of the screamers taking all the oxygen out of the room, if you'll enjoy edifying, provocative, and fun conversations among high-profile public figures and regular folks like me, you love talking politics and religion without killing each other. Thanks for spending some time with us. Enjoy today's show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are talking politics and religion without killing each other. So glad to be a part of this growing ecosystem of principled voices, engaging conversations that matter, trying to make a difference, and we don't mind having some fun either. I am your host. Glad to be joined by our co-host and my dear old dad, Ronnie Nathan. Pops, how you doing? I'm doing good. Nice to see you. I'm doing well. I have to speak well because my granddaughter is on this show. Is it doing good or doing? I think either. I've heard debates about which one is is the proper usage. Uh, Adverb versus adjective, linking verb, that kind of thing. But that's not what we came to talk about. (laughs) What we came to talk, our guest today is very special to me. And I'm assuming to my my co-host, right? She's kind of special to you, right, Pops? Very special. All right. Um, Ayla Shea Nathan happens to be my niece and Ronnie's granddaughter, uh, but she's also a student and an engaged citizen in the family (laughs) tradition uh, who has personally experienced anti-Semitism, our subject today. Whether it's historic atrocities, more recent history, such as men carrying torches shouting Jews will not replace us, or current tensions that have resulted from the conflicts between Hamas and Israel, Hostility and even hatred for Jews is all too familiar to our people. Or as my grandmother and our uncle Saul would say about our family's experience in Eastern Europe, the one thing the Tsarists and the Bolsheviks and the Cossacks and everybody could all agree upon is everybody hated the Jews. And on that happy note, (laughs) Ayla, it is always great to see you. I really appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation. How are you? Well, thanks for having me on. I'm great. Good, good, good. I figured we'd start with a little bit of context, uh, personalize this, but also um, give some historical context as well. What does it mean to you to be a Jew? Well, something that, um, and I didn't really know this until I kind of got to college and started learning more about it. But so it's like important to know that Judaism is as much as it is unified by a common religion, it's like a distinct culture and ethnicity. So you can be ethnically Jewish, religiously Jewish, or both. I mean, as you know, like you converted to Christianity, you know, you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you know, you can't shake the Jewish part off. You take can't a DNA the test yeah, right. and you're what, you're like 99% <laughs> Ashkenazi. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So yeah, like you can be atheist or agnostic and so I, I, you know, it's everybody's relationship with being Jewish is different. And I think that that's what's so cool about Judaism. Yeah. Dad, how would you answer that question? What does it mean to be a Jew? Well, I, I would totally agree with what Ayla said. Um, it's being part of a, a, wor- a culture that's impacted the world in a way that far surpasses our numbers in terms of demography. And, um, a person who's born Jewish may attempt to change their religion, change their identity, but when the rubber hits the road, society won't let you forget who you are. So it's very important to find strength in your Judaism or your Jewish identity. We have a literature, we have a religion, we have a culture that's universal in terms of my feeling connected to Jews in Iran, in Africa, in Asia, all over the world, we share a culture and a certain um, history that other ethnicities that base their identity on a geographic location, like being Irish or Italian or French or German, uh, have trouble relating to because our culture for the last 2000 years hasn't been based on a geographic location or a common bloodline or a certain look racially. 
It's based on a set of values and a culture and a history that we all share. Yeah. Yeah. In, in addition to being um, ethnic, uh, I, I hate, I don't know if you could say necessarily race, but yeah, to your point, Ayla, it, you take a DNA test and it comes up Jewish. Yeah. And I think race and ethnicity is something that people use pretty interchangeably, but I, race is, it's primarily based off of your physical appearance, which is like, but not all Jews look the same, you know, like grandpa used or Ronnie, <laughs> you know, there are Jews in Africa and Asia and Brazil. Like we all, we're all a tribe, you know, we, we all like all over the world, practicing Jews mourn the destruction of our temple in Israel. We celebrate um, being re released from slavery in, in Egypt. Yeah. 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 And, and to your point, dad, uh, one of the points of resonance for me every year when we observe uh, Seder on Passover, I it, it occurs to me that this is something that our people are doing all over the world, that when we welcome, you know, when we say Kim Sarab and, the, you know, Elianovi comes in, that's he, he's coming in on cue and he's going to the Jew next door, you know, or the Jew next in the next state or the Jew in the next country. You know, this is something that we are doing as a people together on the same night. So there is a connectedness there culturally as well as um, ethnically. I take your point about there being a distinction between ethnicity and race. I, I'm curious at what, if you can remember at what point you had a conscious understanding of your identity as a Jew and what, uh, what you understood that to be. Well, I mean, I was born Jewish, as you guys know, and raised in like a very Jewish household. Um, I had a bat mitzvah, which I definitely didn't appreciate at the time. I was just a very anxious child. And I was like, I don't want to do it. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, we went to synagogue and high holidays and did the fun cultural stuff. But I, I yeah, no, I never really connected with it as like a cultural thing until I kind of came to college and started yeah, experiencing things on my own and connecting with these other people. And so I definitely, I definitely do have a different relationship with, with Judaism than I did as a kid, just kind of being forced to like go to, to go to synagogue. Yeah. Okay. Can I jump in here and ask Ayla a question? Yeah, of course. A, unlike, unlike your father and me, you were raised in um, an environment that wasn't primarily Jewish where you were basically a minority, but not a uh, persecuted minority. Yeah. Being Jewish was, was like maybe you had one or two kids in your class who was Jewish until you went to Albert Einstein. How, how is it that when you got to college, your Jewish identity suddenly became important to you? I was um, exposed to Hillel, which is this, I think, national Jew organization for Jewish students in college. Um, there's one in San Francisco, which was exciting. So me and my friend Cora, we went to Shabbat one night and like, it was just really, really cool. And I just never felt my friend Cora, who's not Jewish. She said, I've never felt so welcome at a religious gathering. Like it was just kind of a, a family, you know, just having dinner and talking about stuff. And they just made it very relatable and practical. Um, so just something we could all just connect with in our daily lives without necessarily having to, you know, do Shema every morning or, you know, unless we want to, or just kind of little, little tidbits of, of Judaism and just how you can apply it to your life. And that, yeah, it just feels a lot more meaningful to me now. Yeah. What about you, dad? It must've been, you grew up, you know, born in 47, grew up in the fifties in Brooklyn. Uh, what, what about you? Can you remember consciously being aware, you know, when, when you said to your three-year-old self, I don't know, I'm a Jew, you know, <laughs> how did that all, when, when did it all, all happen and what, what was involved in that? I had, I had an experience very early in life. I must've been five or six years old growing up in Brooklyn. I was playing with a bunch of kids in somebody's alleyway. And this kid, Roger said to me, you Jews killed Jesus Christ. <laughs> You're like, you know, and number one, <laughs> up until that point, I assumed everybody was Jewish. Right. You know, I didn't know there were people who weren't Jewish. 
Number two, I didn't know who Jesus Christ was. <laughs> I didn't remember killing him. <laughs> um, and I ran home crying to my father, who was in the grocery store around the corner. And, and you know, I don't remember what my father said to me, but that was my first experience of understanding that I was different and that there were people out there who hated me for something that I didn't quite understand. Oh, I guess I could, I could jump on this too, like little things when I was little, like, yeah, people would tell me I'm going to hell. And as a Jewish person, like, I don't have a concept that I never had a concept of hell because it's not really like, if you do this, you know, you're sinning and you're going to hell. It's just kind of, I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, my response is Santa Claus isn't real, but it's still kind of on me because I'm not celebrating Christmas. But yeah, little, little, little things like that. <laughs> Yeah, that was yeah, like you're different. Yeah. Yeah. The funny thing about that this is kind of a side note is that 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 concept of, you know, say the magic words and you're going to this off otherworldly place called hell or heaven. That's actually not scriptural. That's, you know, New Testament or Hebrew Bible. That's more Socratic uh, in its full in its. Um, understanding of a thing called heaven or a thing called hell, but that's not. I don't, I don't know about that, Corey. I, uh, I read, do. Know, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I I read Revelations for the first time in my life about two weeks ago, right? And uh, there's some pretty scary stuff in Revelations. Yes, there is some pretty scary stuff, but it's not an otherworldly place. You know, Jesus's resurrection was specifically bodily. It was the first fruits of the resurrection. And when you look at Revelation 21 and 22, it's not some otherworldly, non-physical place. It's in a very, it's God's creation that God is, that creator God is redeeming. So this, uh, this whole, you know, say the magic words and go to heaven or, you know, don't say them and go to hell. Uh, that's not a very scripturally sound prescription. But uh, like I said, that's the, for another conversation. I, what I can say about the, the prior question about understanding a, a conscious understanding, being conscious of my identity as a Jew, is it was never an identity that I wasn't aware of. In other words, as soon as I was conscious, I was conscious of being a Jew. And all of my childhood memories, uh, go and certainly going into adulthood, even in my 20s when I was certainly more of a drifter, a uh, truth seeker, whatever you want to call it, I never shook my identity as a Jew. And ironically, I was never more keenly aware of my Jewish identity than after I became a Christian and started attending um, these evangelical churches. But um, in a way, that's why it was so important to me to have uh, Brittany Briss for each of the boys and uh, every year to observe, you know, Passover and, you know, there are certain observances that have become that much more precious to me, um, even having come to the revelation, if you will, as a, as a Christian, I, I still identify very much as a Jew. I, I'd like to um, take a step back for a second. And dad, I'd like you to address this, or um, I'm sure Ayla, I'm sure you, you've, you've studied a, a quite a bit of this too, but can we just, can we talk a bit about historical anti-Semitism. I don't know if a lot of folks that haven't really studied history or maybe aren't um, Jews themselves really have an appreciation for <laughs> how long this has been going on and what it, what it looks like from century to century. The best source that I can recommend is a book, um, I don't remember the name of the author, but it's called Constantine's Sword. Mm from the destruction of the temple and, and this, the, the, the diaspora that was still in, or at least that lasted until the state of Israel was founded, Jews were looked upon as um, a threat to the Roman empire. And the reason for that is because pagan religions all made their rulers into gods and Jews refuse to accept that. We believe in the unity of God. And um, once Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire, anti-Semitism got baked into the European consciousness um, as early as the first council of Nicaea in I think 325 or something like that. And um, over the centuries, as a persecuted minority, um, couldn't own property, 
uh, couldn't enter professions. We were often stigmatized and accused of doing things like poisoning wells, using Christian babies' blood to bake on matzah. During the bubonic plague, that was a terrible time for Jews because Jews, many communities were held responsible for the bubonic plague, kind of like we see uh, the anti-Asian phenomenon here in the United States, you know, since uh, Trump announced it was the Chinese disease or something like that. And anti-Sad, you know, and it's a very, very peculiar um, bigotry because on the one hand, we're accused of being communists. On the other hand, we're accused of being the super capitalists who controls all the money of the world, both of which is absolutely ridiculous. And it's just an indication of how institutionalized and systemic um, anti-Semitism is in the European culture and in the American culture as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, it it seems like it's been going on pretty much since the beginning of history. And uh, it's just a matter of how it, it, is the heat turned up or is it turned down just a bit? Is it, is it a, a low, a low simmer, you know, but, but it's always present. And so there's always something there. I mean, that there's, there's, there's anti-Semitic literature in Japan and Japan has almost no Jews. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's better to have a long history of oppression than a short history. (laughs) That's what I'll say. You need to explain that. Oh, like, I think I understand. Like a long history of oppression than like short history. Like. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, yeah. The, the Persians tried to get us and we're still here. The Babylonians tried the to get us. The Romans tried to get us. The Romans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why are we still talking about them? <laughs> yeah. We're all still, we're still here. And they're, uh, you know, um, they're just making movies about those guys. Um, what about we're making movies about those guys? <laughs> <laughs> um, what about our own? I was curious, actually, Ayla, we just about a month ago, our family had a reunion, a Zoom reunion. It was mm-hmm. the hundred year anniversary of when our family landed on Ellis Island. I was curious if you learned anything new from that. Re- I'm sure you grew up, you know, like me and, and your dad listening to the stories from our family. But I'm wondering mm-hmm. if you learned anything new uh, from the reunion. Well, it was just really interesting to just physically see all these people that like I'm connected to. And Grandpa gave me his um, little manuscript of our family history, and um, I, I did a project on it a while ago. And, and yeah, and no, I read it a couple of times, and it's just really interesting. But just yeah, like actually seeing all these people and like the PowerPoint and everyone just talking about their own little stories and how we're just this little piece of this this whole our whole like generation a hundred years how crazy and just again going back to the idea that we're this tribe and no matter where we are like we're still jewish we're everywhere yeah still jewish i so when i was a little bit younger than you uh in new jersey you get your license at 17. so when i turned 17 i started driving into brooklyn and spending a considerable amount of time with baba and zeta uh, and Shay. So, yeah, so you're named after uh, Zayda's uh, Saul. Um, in fact, are you Shalamid Rachel or Shalamid? Esther. Esther. Okay. After your, after Re- your mom's uh, grandmother or something? No, no, yeah, no. Renee was really Esther. Oh, okay. All right. Ah. That, that makes sense. Anyway, so I used to drive into Brooklyn and I would spend enti- hours and hours just sitting in this little kitchen uh, they had a little tiny kitchen and just sometime, usually it would be Zeta, uh, Saul w- would talk <laughs> for hours and hours. But then when, when, uh, Zeta passed away, Baba talked a lot more, <laughs> <laughs> but she, she would often come in and she would either correct Zeta's telling of the story or, you know, sometimes she would, she would tell the story, but I would always say, you know, come in and say, tell, tell me a story. Tell me about when you grew up or have something specific I was curious about. And it was as if it happened yesterday. They could share about it. And and my even though my grandfather grew up here uh, in the States, he grew up in Brooklyn, he had spent time around Bob's family and he knew those stories as if they were his own. 
Um, and then, of course, Baba shared, and uh, Aunt Ro- I got to know her sister, Aunt Rosie. I got to know my Uncle Saul, her uncle, uh, her, her father's brother, um, and heard those stories. Those stories are our own, and some of them are horrendous. The, you know, we've shared a couple of these stories um, on other episodes, you know, about one, it was probably not too long before they left for America, but um, it was Easter and Cossacks came through their town uh, and Rosie and Baba hid in a haystack for, it, it was a day, Dad, or, or a couple days? No, for a day, for a whole day. Yeah. And Baba, uh, my grandmother said that when she came out, she saw her neighbor friend that, that was about their age, her and Rosie's age, came out with the heads of her parents in her hands. Her parents had been beheaded. There were houses that were burned down. This was something very, you know, that that they lived through. And again, I, I only half jokingly said, the one thing everybody could agree upon is everybody hated the Jews. But it was it was very real. It, it came with real consequences. So this is something that that hits close to home. Ayla, have you experienced anti-Semitism in your life? Uh, well, I mean, I know we'll talk about at my school a little later, but just growing up, like there's these little subtle things, like I said before, like, you know, you're going to hell. Um, I remember in first grade, we were doing these like Christmas crafts and I had to paint a blue flower pot and everyone else could paint a red one. <laughs> and I was kind of like, okay. Um, <laughs> and then it's just always weird with like taking, you know, have to take off two days of school because Jewish holidays are never off. And then, you know, explaining to the teachers and the teachers being weird about it. And it's just, it was just always, yeah, just always like a just odd feeling of like, I don't really belong until, you know, my the high school, which I went to for a couple of years, a lot of Jewish students. And then I was like, whoa, <laughs> it's not just me, <laughs> uh, but But it's interesting how now kind of reconnecting with my Jewish identity and I, I, you know, I guess it is related to me experiencing more anti-Semitism now. And now I've just become more passionate about it. We're like, all right, well, screw you. I'm Jewish. So, you know, you can aim me all you want and not really. So, I, yeah, no, I've really never felt as uncomfortable being outwardly Jewish at this I, on on this campus in this city, which is just really sad. Yeah, and it's it's strange and ironic because San Francisco is so diverse and so inclusive and so liberal. Yeah. You know, to hear that San Francisco now is a hotbed of anti-Semitism is very troubling. Yeah. Um, ha, ha, do you have any specific examples of anti-Semitic experiences, incidents? the way it expresses itself that you could share with us, either on your campus or in the city of San Francisco generally? Well, the general, the general attitude is like, you need to denounce Israel or, you know, or you're not a good Jew. That's kind of the, you know, there's no, there's no in between. It's just a very, it's hard because San Francisco is so like just such an there's so much activism and diversity and, and, you know, social justice, but they're really uh, like perpetuating this idea of dual loyalty where the Jewish conflating the Jewish people's homeland being important to them. And we literally pray to Israel and like, yeah, conflating that with being politically active Zionists and hating Palestinians. It makes sense. There's a lack of discernment there. There's a lack. You, you, you're confusing our identity as Jews with someone uh, as well as it's coming also from a place of not understanding what the conflict is. You know, like exactly. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if you're on those emails that Sheila sends, but Sheila sent a note the next the, the morning after they had to go into their bunker their, uh, what do you call it? Their shelter three times in the middle of the night when Hamas was bombing, literally bombing their home. Um, Sheila is a cousin who lives in Israel. I think like they just, they're reducing this entire deep and complex history of 
a piece of land that is so important to so many people to like, it's not a conflict, it's an occupation. And if you can't see that you're a racist bigot. So I, I wanted to read something uh, to, to a couple paragraphs from Michael Gerson's essay. Uh, it was in the Washington Post on the 14th of this, just a couple of days ago. Um, it, because it, it provides, it doesn't address anti-Semitism specifically, but I think it, it, it provides a little bit of context for, you know, how folks, well, I'll just read it and, and it, it, it sheds some light on this uh, dynamic, this tension. He says, for most people, wokeness involves being mindful of the cruel and oppressive portions of American history, being alert to persistent structural racism and being determined to right past and present wrongs. This is the theory that attracted many people to street protests last summer. By this standard, count me as woke. But there is an academic version of critical race theory that goes a great deal further. In this variety of postmodernism, all power structures are rotted to the core by white supremacy, the ideals of democracy, pluralism, freedom, the rule of law, even reasoned debate itself are myths or narratives serving the privileged. In this view, politics is no longer a contest of ideas, it is a fight for power, a zero-sum struggle between oppressor and oppressed. This type of wokeness involves seeing through the pretensions of a free society and favoring the oppressed in every instance. The distinctions here are not minor. There is a difference between using critical race theory as a tool to understand unjust power structures and believing that every outworking of Western democratic theory is inherently unjust. There is a difference between examining the disturbing, the disturbing truths of American history and denying the existence of objective truth and the possibility of persuasion. So I was, I was thinking about something that you had written when we were texting and emailing about this before. I was thinking that projecting onto, uh, you know, Israel obviously fired back uh, when, when Hamas bombed uh, residential neighborhoods, Israel obviously fired back in great force. So there's this projection of Israel and anyone who, who uh, is uh, sympathetic with Israel, uh, whether it be by identity or in principle, you are part of this um, racist, uh, supremacist sort of ideology, this Western white, you know, it, it, to your point, I think you used the word conflation before. I, gosh, you, you, there's a lack of um, discernment. There's a lack of uh, nuance that's really required to understand. Like, by the way, there was a guy that was a prime minister there for at least the last dozen or so years up until what, a few days ago that I really disagreed with pretty much a hundred percent of the time, yeah. you know? So <laughs> I, uh, um, I don't know. I don't know if that's what kind of what you were alluding to, but yeah, no. And I mean, it's, that kind of goes to anti-Semitic anti-Semitism versus anti-Zionism because they are different, but there is, there is a line and it gets kind of blurry. You know, you can be an activist and you know, I'll stand by the Palestinian people any day. No, I don't want oppression. Like you can be anti-Zionist and not support Israel, but at, you know, villainizing an entire group of people, an entire country, instead of making a genuine criticism about a government as you would with any other country, you know, you're holding it to this double standard. It's just, it's harmful to the Jewish people. So let me ask you this question, Ayla. Do you consider yourself a Zionist? I support. I, I like, I like, it's hard because I think I do, but in San Francisco, Zionist, like, that's like a bad word. That's like code for I'm a racist bigot. Like, so it's like, I can support, you know, my people's right to, to the land too. But that's why I kind of hesitate to, to call myself a Zionist, even though um, the kind of original, original meaning I can 100 percent stand by, you know, which is the Jewish people's right to govern themselves. But it's a. Uh, do, you, do you support the concept of a Jewish homeland? Yes, Absolutely. A Jewish state in Israel, where every Jew is in, is is guaranteed the right of citizenship. Absolutely, and I, you know, I know that that's that's what Zionism is, <laughs> but it's like 
it's a traumatic word <laughs> because it's just a bad, like it's almost a slur here. It's just so weird. Yeah. I think, I think that the bigots of the world on the right and the left are very successful at identifying a label and demonizing it. So for example, when I first came of age politically in high school and started to think about these issues in a serious way, being a liberal was a positive thing. Being liberal was a very positive thing and liberal values were traditional American values. And somehow the term liberal has morphed where today it's used as a pejorative. Yeah. Um, and I think the same thing is true of Zionism. I'm a Zionist. I'm a proud, loud Zionist. Um, and I think Zionism is a good thing. And I'm not going to let the rest of the world turn that into an ugly term because it's not racist. It's not oppressive. It simply is the fact that without a homeland, Jews are vulnerable every place in the world. That's what the Holocaust proved to me and to Jews generally. And Israel is our homeland. And when the Palestinians' uh, leadership comes to the recognition that we have a right to be there too, and they're not dedicated to throwing us into the Mediterranean, that's when we can make peace with them. Dad, I'm reminded of a MASH episode where Hawkeye was defending a Korean woman who was uh, being held as prisoner. She had wounds that he was treating as a, as a doctor, but she at the same time was being held as a prisoner by an American uh, soldier, American uh, uh, MP that was coming across and you know, all the ways you would expect for a guy that Hawkeye didn't like to come across, right? Um, and while you appreciate through most of the episode, you appreciated Hawkeye's instincts to defend um, someone who was a prisoner, defend someone who, um, you know, was being oppressed uh, in a visible way. Uh, it turned out that she actually was a terrorist. We found out by the end of the episode that she was a terrorist. Uh, and it, it reminds me oftentimes of the mistake that we make while I can, I can understand and sympathize with someone who sees only one side of the equation and says the Palestinian people, the, the children and the, you know, um, but we do have to take into account that Hamas is a terror, terrorist organization that they bombed our family's homes, you know? Um, yeah. So a similar situation arose at San Francisco State. I, um, you brought it to my attention, Ayla. I really appreciate it. Uh, last September, September of 2020, a woman, I, I don't know if I'm getting the pronunciation correct, but Leila Khaled, is that how you say it? Leila, Leila Khalid, Leila Khaled. Yeah, something like that. She was scheduled to speak at a conference at San Francisco State University, um, hosted by uh, two, uh, two professors. <laughs> I couldn't believe it when I looked at when I did some research on who she is. So she wasn't just a one time uh, terrorist. She's not like a not like a she's not just like a, you know, hard hitting, like, you know, oh, tell it like it is activist. Like, no, she hijacked like planes with innocent civilians. Multiple, and it, not just one plane, no, not no. just and one. It, and it's not like she wasn't like convicted or there was some gray area like she was traded back to the four innocent civilians like, this is not this is a very black and white issue yeah there are other people that can advocate for palestine right who i would support advocating for palestine i can't support somebody that i know wants to kill my people that's right. as simple as that and that makes me feel unsafe yeah yeah, no, and she's uh, she still identifies as part of the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, PFLP, which, which is, is a, a terrorist organization. Um, the planes, one was TWA flight headed to Tel Aviv. Uh, another was an LL flight headed out of Amsterdam, headed to New York. 
Um, so it wasn't just like, oh, I happened to be on the plane and, you know, said some supportive things. She was actively trying to kill hundreds of people. Um, so, yeah. So I, I was happy to see that there were the Jewish co coalition group and Jewish hatred um, on campus prevented the conference from using that. But it was like a limited victory. It was only from using the video conferencing software and platforms. Um, it yeah, was like, I think she she streamed on YouTube for a bit and for a few minutes until she said something. And then it was like so she said something about like by any means necessary. And then I think they cut off the stream. OK, but right. in response, we Hillel, um, we had a vigil for victims of terror, um, which was so I mean, very moving and just hearing everybody's stories of their grandparents and their, you know, this, this, and that. I mean, a lot of, there's a lot of Jewish victims of terror. We also had um, the, one, a guest speaker, the pilot of one of the planes that she hijacked. Wow. Yeah. And he was telling his, his story about it. And I, I believe she wrote a memoir about her experience. And he said, you know, I, I read it and she kind of, she was saying something about, she was tackled by 15 people and there was excessive force and he's saying, yeah, I was the pilot on the plane. There were two air marshals. And yeah, they tackled the heck out of her because she was trying to hijack the plane, man. Yeah. And she took she took the pin out of uh, one of the grenades and rolled it down into the uh, it's a miracle that it didn't go off. So um, was there what was the climate like? Was there pushback against the uh, Jewish organization when you tried to stop her from speaking? Oh, absolutely. Um Absolutely. It was you. How can you call yourself a progressive if you, you know, you must not support this if you support this? It was like, we're just saying this kind of language is very harmful to us. And this is, it's not okay. And the response is, well, you hate the Palestinians and you want them to. Da, 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 da. And it's just clear that they're just not listening to us. They don't want to listen to us. We're telling them, like, that's not what we want. And we're saying these specific things like, hey, we just want peace, man. We just want to be Jewish and not feel like we're going to be attacked or murdered or hated because of who we are. And but that translates to, you know, yeah. that you're I'm hateful. So, so Ayla, I, you know, something that that I wonder about generally on the San Francisco State campus, do you think this anti-Zionist uh, slash anti-Semitism, is that the pre predominant culture or is it just that those who express it are the loudest? I don't know because I think it is just the culture of the campus because, I mean, I have emailed the university president a couple of times in so with some passionate words and you know the response is it's a it's a priority for us. It is it's a priority for us, but you know nothing nothing really happens. So it's it's there is anti-Semitism on campus, and the school is not taking an active stance against that or saying like, hey, don't maybe don't ask all Jews on campus to like answer for the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And so to me, that just kind of says. Well, that's just the culture of the school. If you're standing against Asian hate, if you're standing against, you know, this kind of hate, this kind of hate, this kind of hate, you're not speaking up for me. You don't care about me. Yeah, I've gotten, you know, numbers of, of emails and, and and different initiatives for like other, you know, minority groups for to 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 be active and and love and not hate that sort of thing. And I support that. And it hurts that we're not included in that one. Right. Why do you think that is? And I'm curious to your answer too, Dad. But but first, Ayla, why do you think that is? Is it unique to Jewish people that? Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, what, well, why I think. That? I mean, we're people don't. A lot of people don't see anti-Semitism as a real problem, because it's kind of taught that it started and ended with the Holocaust, and that's anti-Semitism. So I think it we're just often excluded from issues and conversations surrounding white supremacy because 
people don't see it as a real problem, even though historically we have been persecuted for being an inferior race. So, and when we are included, it's more as an afterthought. And I think it's difficult because when you're talking about racism and anti-Semitism, the conversation just immediately becomes comparative and undermining when the our you know oppressors for I guess lack of a better word share that same ideology towards us and you know so in America it's it shouldn't I mean anti-semitism should not be the sole focus of these conversations but just to exclude it entirely or like I said include it as an afterthought just feels weird because while a lot of Jewish people in America do not outwardly present as Jewish or and don't face the same discrimination of people of color. That's that's a fact. But just to erase these thousands of years of history where we were not considered equals is just like insulting and just wrong. Yeah. Why do you think that? Yeah, I I think I think we're uh, a victim of our own success. In spite of persecution, Jews have always found a way as a group to not only be successful, but to have a huge impact on the larger culture, much greater than our numbers demographically. I mean, we're, we represent less than 1% of the American population. Yeah, it's like point, oh, yeah, 0.2% or something like that. You know, it's, it's something like, yeah, point, less than 1%. And yet we're, represented in huge numbers in all of the professions and the sciences and, you know, in academia. So I think that's part of it. Mm -hmm. I think, well, I I think to a large extent, um, Asian Americans share that up until recently when elderly Asian women were being beaten up just for being Asian. Yeah. so I think that's part of it. I think the second part of it is that Americans don't have a clue that anti-Semitism, open anti-Semitism, was you know was the norm in American society until the nineteen until the Holocaust, until the nineteen fifties. Uh, you know, Father Coglin, a guy whose sole pitch was hate the Jews, Yeah, had the most popular radio program right through the 1930s. Yeah, yeah. Henry Ford, uh, Charles Lindbergh, uh, they, they were very prominent figures in, in, in the public, uh, you know, public sphere that were very vocal anti-Semites. I mean, it was, it was uh, when you study uh, some of the recent history, you know, as, as recent as, as pre-World War II, it's um, it's daunting to think about. But Ailey, you had a really good point. You know, I, I don't know how long ago this was within the last decade or so that it occurred to me that there was this sentiment out there where being smart and well read and accomplished all of a sudden became a bad thing. But you made a different association. Can you can you tease that out a little bit? Yeah, <laughs> the elites. Whenever I mean. It, it's little things that I'm learning about. I mean, cause you, you, these like conspiracies of like the lizard people running the country, like the elites that control the media and the economy. That's just a code word for Jew. It just is. <laughs> yeah. 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 Or like a dog whistle, I guess you would be called. Yeah. I mean, it's not so subtle at times. Dad, dad, I, I meant to ask you earlier. Um, I'm sure that you experienced overt racism. I, I had a couple of, uh, not racism, I should say, specifically anti-Semitism. And, and I, I had a couple of um, uh, what I might refer to as soft anti-Semitism and a couple more overt. But I'm, cu- I'm curious about your own experience. I've experienced the typical American kid kind of anti-Semitism on and off all my life. It's just something you accept and it's something you learn to deal with one way or another. Um, about two and a half years ago, I put on a yarmulke and I wear a yarmulke all the time. And what's interesting to me is that in the two and a half years that I've, that I've, I walk around openly expressing myself as a Jew, 
I've only had two negative experiences. They were very negative experiences and very troubling experiences. But 90, I mean, 98% of the time, wearing the yarmulke has been a very positive experience where people approach me and little kids want to know what that yarmulke means. And the parents tell them, oh, it means he's Jewish and bup, bup. And, it, you know, the amazing thing is that in America, most people are very tolerant of Jews. But the anti-Semites uh, are so loud and so determined in their anti-Semitism that it's very troubling. Um, I had an experience uh, about a year and a half ago in Manhattan. Uh, Grandma and I came out of a show and a young black man yelled, hey, you, Jew, buy my CD. I know you're, I know you're rich because you're Jewish. So I turned around and he was like right in my face. And he was, you know, like a late teen, early 20 something. I'm 74 at the time, maybe 72. So it was a very threatening kind of experience. And I'm in this crowd of people coming out of all the theaters on Broadway and nobody said a word. Oh. And a crowd started to form. And mom, grandma was like terrified. And she just was pulling me away, but I, I couldn't allow myself to be pull, pulled away. So I said to this kid, I said, um, let me give you a word of advice. You need a, you need a different sales pitch. <laughs> that's that's, that's disar it, more disarming than a lot of other comebacks you could have come up with. at the. At and, and I kind of like threw the CD back at him and walked away. And again, nobody in the crowd did anything as this guy kept yelling after me, hey, you, Jew, hey, you, Jew. And um, wow, I mean, that, that, was, that was pretty scary and it was pretty um, disturbing. And yet, I'll go to a supermarket in Santa Clarita, California, um, and all of the people in the store, the workers, are like my friends because mm -hmm. I'm the only guy who goes shopping in that store who wears a yarmulke. <laughs> and so they know me, Yeah, you know? <laughs> so I mean, that's very, that's very uplifting and it gives me a good warm feeling. And they say, hey, Ronnie, how you doing? What's going on in Brooklyn? When you're going home? You know, it's, uh, there's a Jewish holiday coming up. We have challah in the bakery, you know, stuff like that. It's really- <laughs> That's nice. So, yeah, it is nice. Well, I when I became a Christian, it might, uh, I don't know if it'll be surprising to hear that I experienced different versions of anti-Semitism. Most of it was soft, uh, what I would c consider or categorize as soft anti-Semitism, meaning there wasn't anything malicious behind it. It was more an expression of ignorance. Uh, for example, <laughs> you know, folks would, um, folks at my church would ask me, I don't get why all you Jews, blah, 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 you know, like whatever it might be. <laughs> I had a funny experience at Grace Baptist, by the way. With what? <laughs> do you want to share? Sure. Yeah. So you, you, you belong to this um, mega, very conservative Baptist evangelical church called Grace Baptist in Santa Clarita. Which it should be said, most of the people are lovely people. They're wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people. Um, However, <laughs> I have never met so many people who fell over themselves to share with me that they had Jewish ancestors. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, and I, the only thing I can compare it to is that everybody from Texas thinks their grandparent was Cherokee or something. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, but I had this one experience where I was picking um, Jack, you know, Ayla's cousin, Corey's son, uh, up from the Passion Play rehearsal. Oh, yeah. And um, I was just there, I you know, and, and a woman turns around, she was in this uh, clutch of other women. And she turned and she says, you're Corey's dad, aren't you? I said, Yeah. And she said, uh, So are you a completed Jew? <laughs> I said, Excuse me, she said, Are you a completed Jew? And it suddenly dawned on me what she meant, that Corey was completed, but I wasn't. So I looked at my arms and legs. I said, well, 
I feel very complete. <laughs> you know, I have, you know, I, I, I'm not a Christian, but I feel very complete. And yeah. she kind of like her jaw dropped and total silence. Yeah. So, I mean, that was a really strange experience. Yeah. So there were some, you know, still softer experiences like that. There were some that were a little bit more offensive, like when they, um, that was, was pretty offensive, actually. Yeah, that, that was pretty <laughs> offensive. But also, uh, there are times when they would, uh, like, when they held a, a seder at the at the church. Uh, um, it, it was more of a colonialist impulse than uh, than an e- a truly evangelical impulse because it it was it was communicating this is what the seder really means. This is what the seder should really, and we know because we're you know completed, we're Christians, and I found that to be really offensive. They were co opting. Uh, something um, as if they had the answer and Jews really didn't. So that was a I mean, little even bit more, more than that. You, you and I attended a series of course uh, 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 classes. Yeah, I could, I couldn't do that again. I couldn't sit through that again. You know about about uh, a guy who was born Jewish and had converted as at a very young age was giving a seminar about Judaism and Jews, and he got some stuff some really basic stuff wrong. Really wrong. Yeah, really, really wrong. wrong. Yeah. And so I um, offered to do a little class of my own. <laughs> no, that's that's not going to happen. <laughs> no, that, that is not going to happen. <laughs> and and this, the response was, well, first we have to take it up with the deacons. Right. And then we have to take it up with uh, whatever other body supervisor. And the, the answer came down and said, no, we won't let you do anything educational in this particular church. Yeah. In other words, they wanted to learn Judaism from somebody who wasn't a Jew. <laughs> right. Because because their goal was to convert other Jews. Their goal wasn't to understand Judaism. Yeah, so there were instances there were instances like that. The the, the one that really um, that really hit me the hardest was the last couple of years the pat you referred to the passion play, the depiction of certain uh, characters was worse than a caricature. I mean, you know, uh, the 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 depiction, and that, that was the other thing too, is that in in the mo- the last uh, play that I was familiar, passion play that I was familiar with, they conflated the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and you know, they just conflated all of these characters into the the proxy for all the. Um, uh, antagonist, the antagonist character and put the makeup on to make them look even more evil. And it was like, I, I, like somebody's got to be aware of how anti, how overtly anti-Semitic this is. Well, look at Mother Gothel and the Rapunzel. I mean, like the blood libel at its like core. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So can, can you, can you expand on that, Ayla, for the listeners who don't know what you're talking about? Okay. Well, there's, well, correct me, Grandpa, if I'm explaining it a little wrong, but there's this age-old anti-Semitic kind of conspiracy called blood libel that Jews were, and one of you said something like baking Christian babies into matzah. It's like a lot of things like Jewish people like drinking Christian babies' blood for youth and, you know, this kind of thing. And it's, you can kind of, you can see it too, like throughout, even with the, focused on um, like anti-Zionism, there's a real, real emphasis on their murdering babies. And it feels like that's something that's very present. And it's, it's just like always an underlying thing, like Jews and babies. I don't know what the deal is. Yeah. Dad, do you make any connections between that and the prominent uh, QAnon theory? Oh, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I was going to make a point before that a lot of times anti-Semitism isn't um, overtly anti-Semitic, but it's couched in in these conflations between um, um, a hatred for the way we th- the we think in a unique way. We think in a Talmudic way. We always think on mm-hmm. the one hand and on the other hand, and this rabbi and that rabbi and this like there's you know all these different opinions. So um, we're trained up in in a way of thinking, in a way of being. That I mean, if you if you if you can't think in terms of nuance, I, like that's just who we are, just being people. I mean, we're, I feel like we're one of the most self-critical people. Like we argue with each other. We argue with God. We argue I mean, with ourselves. <laughs> with ourselves. It's not like we're not willing, you know, we're stuck in our ways and we're not 
willing to listen, you know? And yeah. I think it's, and like, for example, like if you're just, even if you're just using the Holocaust as your only example of anti-Semitism, it didn't start with ghettos and trains and gas chambers. It started with like these little instances and these, you know, kind of ideals that or ideas that get stuck in your head. Like, mm, these are just Jewish people, they become normalized and, you know, then it's easier to excuse like more non-subtle things. And then, you know, so it's, it's like, it's not that we're, when we're calling it out, it's not that we're sensitive and we're, you know, we hate other people and we, you know, we want to be part of the oppression club. It, these are literally the building blocks for our genocide. Yeah. So it's, it's hard, you know, when people say we're overreacting, like <laughs> we're just trying to make this not happen again. Like, do you not see? Yeah. Yeah. So one of, one of the most disturbing developments in um, current American political culture was uh, the Charlottesville um, experience where people came together, presumably to protest statues of Jewish, of, um, excuse me, Southern Civil War heroes being taken down and somehow ended up in a torchlight parade with people screaming, Jews will not replace us. Yeah. How does that happen? How does that happen? that a demonstration dedicated to one thing morphs into something that looked like a Nazi rally from 1938 yeah. in America. And then our president says there are good people on both sides. How does yeah. that happen? Yeah, there's a permission structure that's created uh, and an encouragement that picks up steam. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of elements there that, um, it's going to take many years to, to, to diagnose and to understand how, how we got here, you know? So, so before we end the podcast, I have one more question for Ayla. For my, my first grandchild. <laughs> I know what you're going to ask. <laughs> what am I going to ask? Are you, are you going to go on birthright soon? Oh, no, no. I wasn't going to ask that. But that's a good oh, question. Oh. Are you going to go on birthright soon? So who knows? So, who knows? So well, definitely before I can't, but we'll we'll see how things you know turn out for me in the next few years. You, you have to, yeah. You, your life has to be at the right time for you to do it. I get that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I know when you left for college, mm -hmm. the idea of marrying a Jew was not had absolutely no. Uh, priority for you, dating Jews, marrying Jews. I'm wondering if your experience at college with anti-Semitism and being more connected to your Jewish identity, if that will translate into um, something that'll become important to you for the rest of your life. Well, hmm. I would say that I, I don't I don't care if my partner is Jewish, not Jewish. As long as he's voting blue, the kids are going to be Jewish anyway. So I, the, if they want to deal, if they don't want the kids Jewish, sorry, buddy, you don't have to be Jewish, but my, they're getting bat mitzvahs or bar mitzvahs and I'm sorry. It's a deal breaker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so, uh, that's interesting. That's so there's good. my answer. Yeah. You're welcome, grandpa, for uh, bringing you Jewish great grandchildren. As soon as I can find an NJB, nice Jewish boy, <laughs> Put, bring some chutzpah into my life. Yeah, he should be a doctor. Um, <laughs> okay, well, uh, I certainly learned a great deal. I'm, I'm really appreciative, seriously, because it does, you know, you kind of put yourself out there. Uh, and uh, I, I appreciate your, your candor. I appreciate your thoughtfulness. Um, and I appreciate your, your perspective. So, um, I just, you know, and it's fun. It's just fun to hang out with you. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for having me on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's, yeah. Okay. Fine. It's good to see you too, dad. <laughs> it's good to see you too. It's good to see you too. <laughs> uh, so anyway, as always, if you like the show, please hit that subscribe button, leave us a review and comments wherever you get your podcasts. 
and give us a shout on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to Talk of Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other. Love you, Ayla. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. If you appreciate what you've heard here, please go to iTunes or anywhere you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and leave a review. That really helps move us up the chart so others can find out what we're up to here. For Ronnie Nathan, I'm Corey Nathan, and we've been talking politics and religion without killing each other. We'll be back in a few days to do our little part in Tikkun Olam. <laughs>